0: Welcome to Your Best Writing Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I am so glad you're listening in today. Today, we have part two of how to research like a pro. Of course, my industry expert who's back with us is Lisa Carter. And Lisa is a multi-published author who describes her romantic suspense novels as sweet tea with a slice of murder. Her novel, The Stronghold, won a Daphne du Maurier and Under a Turquoise Sky won the Carol Award. She also writes contemporary romance with Love Inspired. The popular matchmaker series is set in our very familiar territory of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Lisa, welcome back to your best writing life.
1: Thanks, Linda. It's great to be
0: back again.
1: And I hope
0: that listeners found
1: our part one beneficial and useful for what they're doing as authors. That's always my goal is to make it something that can benefit other writers.
0: I know they did because I've seen some of the reviews on it and those that are writing in our Facebook page and saying, oh, this was fabulous. So I know this is something that they really wanted to hear and we aren't done. We're going to continue on today. So we're looking at how to research like a pro. If you would share with our listeners briefly what we covered in, and you don't have to go through the researcher's creed, but just let them know what we covered as part of that, and then also the three main areas that you concentrate on when you do research for a novel, and then I'm going to ask you today's first question.
1: Well, in part one, we went over the eight points of the researcher's creed, and those are considered the gold standard for professional researchers, historians, and journalists. And it behooves us as authors, if we want to write stories that our readers um, will connect with that we have to make sure that the details are as accurate as we can make them. And nothing jars you as a reader more than to be reading along and to realize that something is wrong that the author has gotten something wrong, some fact, some detail, it just jars you out of the story. Because as readers, we have to be willing to trust the author to suspend our belief, to get into the characters and the storyline. And when our research is not accurate, or we've not even done research, that jars the reader and we lose their trust. And they're going to close the book and probably never buy another book of ours again. So research is so important and it brings the characters and the storyline to life. So after we talked about the researcher's creed, we went into the three areas that I concentrate on when I'm targeting my research. Nothing beats being at a place in person to do your research and gather information. But I start out by doing online research. I turn to print materials, and I mentioned that the local librarian should be one of your great friends. Interlibrary loan is a wonderful thing that we have in this day and age to get a hold of magazines, articles, and books, anything printed that will help us in researching our particular topic. And then we talked about um, utilizing local experts. But again, we should have done all of the other research before we ever get to that point where we're conducting interviews with some local expert, whether it's a helicopter pilot or a sheriff's deputy who is sharing their knowledge of law enforcement and or forensics with us. So make sure you've done your initial research first because it it helps you to target the questions that you're going to ask. It focuses you in the direction you want to pursue with that local expert and and you also don't waste their time. And, And that's what we covered in part one.
0: We did, and you did an excellent job. A lot of detail, folks. You need to listen to part one so that you can have all of that information. It's fantastic. So we've gathered this research. We've learned the research. We are following that researcher's code. We know exactly where we stand. So Lisa, how do you take what you've learned through research and apply it to the story? I
1: think there's two ways that I do this. Um, I have to take what I know and then transfer it to the story. And one way I I do this is by empowering my imagination. Um, Say that you're writing some spy thriller and it's set, for instance, in Moscow and it's during the winter. Well, very few of us have spent a winter in Moscow, but maybe in real life you did grow up in South Dakota or you've grown up in Minnesota or some other climate where they have harsh winters. You could take what you've experienced on a personal level and transfer that by means of your imagination into creating that setting for your novel. Or, for instance, a lot of us that write suspense, we um, sometimes will take on the Point of view, the POV of the killer. Well, hopefully, none of our listeners have actually killed anyone. So you say, well, how do I come up and and you know be realistic um, and, and as accurate as possible without actually killing someone? Because we do not encourage that on this podcast. Am I correct no, in that line? That is
0: absolutely correct. Not that right. doesn't even it's not even in our top one thousand things to do. You're right. There
1: you go. Somehow we have got to accurately portray that character because, you know, um, as a suspense writer, I have to just as accurately portray my villain as I do my protagonist and my heroine and hero. So I'll give you an example of how you can take what you know, and by utilizing your imagination, you can transfer it to the story. If any of our listeners have ever had a bug come into their house. This is how a killer feels, okay? Think about your feelings when a bug crawls into your house, the feelings of outrage that you feel. How dare you invade my house? How dare you inconvenience me. How dare you? You're so icky. You're such an obstacle. You're such an inferior thing. How dare you? Just these feelings of rage that you feel. And then think about grabbing the flyswatter or your shoe or whatever you're going to use. And we're hoping that PETA is not going to get involved in this podcast discussion here. But think about the feelings that you've got to feel. You become the predator. They become your prey as you're stalking them to slam that fly swatter up against them on the wall. And the feeling of just gripping satisfaction you feel when job done, well accomplished, that bug is dead. Okay. That is what a killer feels. Now, isn't that kind of sick and horrifying, but that is what they feel when they encounter someone who is an obstacle to their twisted goals, um, and, and how they go about, you know, feeling that when, when you're mm. in that part of your story to transfer that, which is sort of dramatic, but it really does kind of capture the feelings of superiority, the feelings of, of how they view their prey. Uh, they don't even see them as people, really. You know what I mean? And, and you can take what you know, and use your imagination to transfer it to what you need in your story. Another example, if you're writing about Hawaii, but you've never been to Hawaii, or you've never been to the Caribbean, a lot of people have been to the beach, though. And so the sand between your toes is going to feel the same, really. No matter what beach you're on, unless you're on that beach like I was in France, and I was just totally shocked about shingle beaches. That was a new thing for me. I mean, it's nothing but stone. It shocked me. But most of us have felt sand between our toes, whether at the lake or the beach. Um, The wind, the smells of the water, the sound of the seagulls. So you can take that kind of thing that you've experienced and transfer it with a little bit of fictional license to the place where you're setting your story. Or maybe you say, well, I don't know if that's going to work for me because I write dystopian or um, apocalyptic literature, or I'm even writing like the next little house on the prairie, the pioneer world. I, I can't go back to the pioneer times. How am I going to use my imagination for this? Well, think about this. Have you ever in your life had to move to a new school or a new neighborhood or a new city? Or join a new church, and those feelings of feeling like maybe you don't belong, that you're an outsider, that this is a little bit scary, all of those feelings can be transferred into those um, dystopian type genres about a brave new world kind of thing. And so that would be the first thing I'd recommend is to empower your imagination by taking what you know and transferring it to your individual story. Now, the second thing I would recommend is to make sure you employ all five senses. Sensory details, even small ones, can bring a setting to life. And again, it's like research. A little bit goes a long way. It's the way you add spices, Um, into your cooking, you add the senses in the same way that you add spices to cooking. Um, You infuse it with a little description and it, it really adds so much character to the story and it brings the characters themselves and the settings to life. So think about in that setting, what would you smell? What would you see? What would you hear? What would you touch texture-wise? And the most important um, sense, I think, that brings the most vivid response in readers is the sense of smell. So that's very important. I kind of make it a game with myself to see how many of the senses I can pepper into each scene. Now, what you see is, is the easy one because we're reading the printed word and that's going to come naturally. You can bring that out with like anything color. Like if you're at the beach, you talk about the turquoise water. And that, that color, just mentioning that word, makes the, what we see even more vivid in the reader's eye. The, the smell, Well, if you're at the sea, if you've ever been at the sea, you know there's sort of a briny smell to it. Um, we talked about touch or texture. Think about the sand again. And think about the, the smell we mentioned as the most important and hearing. What do you hear at the beach? Well, seagulls or the sound of the waves lapping against the shore, and if you can just, we're not talking about a description dump here, but peppering in these little details, a sentence here, a word here, a phrase here, throughout the scene, that brings the scene to life. I I do a lot of um, manuscript critiques at, at conferences, and this is the one thing that to me distinguishes a writer who is at the beginning of their writing journey versus a more seasoned writer is their ability to bring a scene to life and nothing brings a scene to life more vividly than being able to pepper in these five senses. So make it a task for yourself as a writer that as you're working on your manuscript, this work in progress that you've got going to start, start seeing how many, I mean, actually even go back a chapter that you've already written and highlight anything that would reference one of the senses and just see how you've done so far. And then next chapter that you write, next scene you're working on, see if you can do better, even better by peppering in those five senses. So those two things are the means that I use to take my research, to use even my personal experience and translate it, transfer it to the story to bring it to life. Um, I've used recipes uh, like when I was writing Aloha Rose about Hawaii, a Hawaiian hula pie. I mean, that was a great thing to try out that recipe and taste it for myself. I use song themes that when I was, again, writing the the Aloha Rose story set in Hawaii, I used Brother Iz's version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and I would just play it over and over and over to myself. And it really helped jumpstart my writing every day. It was kind of like that whole Pavlovian dog thing, that it Mm -hmm. became a trigger that I would hear the music and I was immediately in that setting. And by me feeling the setting i think it, it enabled it to be more realistic in my writing for the the reader To catch the setting as well. Um, And eventually, everything that I was using became part of my marketing, so nothing is wasted. That's the wonderful part of research. Nothing has to be wasted. You may not be able to fit in all of your research, but later on down the line, you can use it in blogs and articles and all kinds of ways in your marketing and your branding as you are launching that particular book. There may be an object that um, has some special association that can help you be location or character specific fragrances that you can that will help you because if you feel it then you can write it and then your reader will feel it for instance sometimes I give my main female characters a specific fragrance lavender or jasmine, or plumeria from Hawaii, magnolia when it's one of my southern heroines, and I will burn a candle, or I will have, you know, something like that that will help me to get in that character's skin and and more effectively write from that character's point of view. So those are the main two ways, Linda, that I utilize what I've found in my research and
0: transfer it to the story. And I like how you tell us to pepper it in and to go back and take a look and, you know, maybe even have in my mind, I'm going, okay, I could color code. If I know, did I have something that dealt with sight? What is it that dealt with smell? How, how can I bring that in? How can I have it be different? And subtlety, I think, is a key here. Is it not, Lisa? Can you elaborate on that just a little bit, how we would dovetail that in? Well, um, I've taught this
1: class at conferences before, and, you know, just being auto, um, audio, I'm not able to to give all the examples that I would normally use when sure. I've got the screen and everything, but what I usually do is I will read a paragraph or parts of a scene that I've written, and I'll show, I'll highlight it how, um, you know, the, the smell of the the brine of the salt water wafted mm. past his nose. I mean, you just have to be clever. I mean, you really mm-hmm. do. You have to think of a creative, clever way to get the information into the reader's mind without being so on the nose about it, you know? And because otherwise, um, we call it an information dump or even mm. a description dump. And again, right. that's that's less um, less. Craft worthy writing there, and the more you do it, I think the better you'll get at, at it. And again, that little trick about the highlighter, I really recommend that. Take um, a scene that you've written and highlight those kind of things because really, the reader is not going to tolerate pages and pages of description where we'd all like to tell everything we knew in our descript, um, our research about the house that the character lives in or the yard or the town. And, you know, Charles Dickens used to be able to do that. He could write 20 pages and you had no furtherance in the storyline. He just told you about all the characters, but modern readers will not tolerate that. So we've mm-hmm. got to be a little more clever about splicing it in, you know, um, th- a sentence here that, that brings out the, the auditory, uh, another sentence, a couple of paragraphs down that brings out maybe a textural thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of how we have to do it.
0: So good. Yay, yay, yay. Sorry, I want to stop and write. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's the next question What role does the power of discovery play in your pre writing process?
1: I love the discovery part of the writing process. You know, there are three stages in writing a novel. There's the pre-writing, and that's where we do most of our, our research. The second stage is the writing. And to me, I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I've turned in number 28 novel uh, oh. just a few weeks ago, and you would think, that it gets easier. No, I hate to tell you this, it gets harder. Um, the writing to me is the hardest part of, of the whole process. And then the third stage in the writing process is the revision or the rewriting process. And that's really where the magic happens. I actually, and this may make me weird and you're going to hear me say this and think, <laughs> oh yeah, well, this woman is totally crazy. I love the revision, the rewriting part of the process. That's when the magic happens. It's sort of like, you know, you've done your research, you've, you've painfully bleeding out on the screen, written this manuscript, and you're just convinced. I'm always convinced at the end of writing even number 28, that this is just a bunch of hogwash, that nobody is going to read this. This is terrible, but I have to trust that the rewriting part of the process is going to do its good job. And so that's, it's like you've got this, this lump of clay, like this, this thing, Michelangelo, and that's when he begins to chip away at this marble block and the the beautiful image that was trapped in the marble emerges. And to me, that's what the rewriting process is, is chipping away at this lump of clay you call your rough draft to reveal the beauty that's within. But that's another topic, Linda. We are not going to talk <laughs> about rewriting. But the power of discovery, it's, it's all about in the pre-writing stage, uncovering, discovering the story that you've been inspired to tell. It's when you take what you've unearthed so far in your research, you throw it into the cooker of your creativity and you let it simmer on the stove of your imagination. What you allow to develop on the front end of your writing before you ever even write the first word It's going to pay huge dividends on the back end of your writing. Let the story cook in your mind before you touch the keyboard or you risk a detour that could lead nowhere because you really didn't know what your story was about, much less where the story was going. So don't discount the powerful role that discovery plays in the pre-writing process. Some stories take longer to develop than others, and others will fly from your fingers to the keyboard like sparks off flint. And those stories are usually, they've been fueled by a conscious choice to let the discovery process have its way not your way. It's on its timetable, not your timetable. Ideas emerge from this magical place inside you that were placed there by the God who hardwired you to be a writer in the first place. But this tank has to be filled until it overflows so that the creativity overflows. And it's the overflow that becomes your inspiration. It's a wellspring. Now, don't kid yourself. This this discovery, this research, this is work too, but it can be important fun work. It's about gathering this, this power of discovery, the pre-writing process. It's about gathering story treasure. Along the path of your research. Now, if you're a plotter, you're going to collect all of this treasure. And then you're going to weave it into a cohesive whole before writing the first word. If you're a pantser like me, you're going to collect and you're going to then distribute it during the actual writing stage. Um, over the years, I've I've kind of come up with some ideas about how we can fill the tank of creativity inside us so that it overflows into this process of discovery. And this, the things I'm going to tell you, Linda, they're going to sound really stupid. And you're going to think, oh, well, a child knows that. But no, really seriously. Sometimes we have to go back to the basics. You know, Um, I think someone told me one time, the most important thing we can know is that little, that little um, children's verse, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible Mm. tells me so. And so it's sometimes in going back to the basics, that that, that's where the meat of it is. And so the first thing I would recommend in this power of discovery is to read. This is what we used to do for fun before we convinced ourselves that writing is such a drudgery. But reading is essential to the creative process. It's not an indulgence. It's a necessity for the writer to fill the tank. You have to read at least one book a week, more if possible. Carry a book or an e book with you wherever you go. Reading or listening to audiobooks can guide your story's direction. Now, we're not talking about plagiarism, but it's kind of the iron sharpens iron mentality. So, another writer's creativity can inspire and fuel your own creativity. Um, the second thing I would encourage you to do while you're on this process of discovery is to allow your subconscious to take over. And this is most easily accomplished by performing mundane, even rote type of skills, cleaning your house, driving, exercising, Taking a shower. When your body is engaged in muscle memory, your mind is free for that stream of subconscious thoughts to flow. Now, it's during this stage, the pre-writing stage of your process, that you'll have the cleanest house on your block. And I hope you will savor that because during the second and third stages of writing and rewriting, you're going to have the worst kept house on the block. (laughs) My best ideas are often come to me when I'm unconscious. And sometimes I mean that literally the entire storyline of Beneath a Navajo Moon came to me in a dream. I kid you not. And then also um, in the shower, I get my best ideas for the plot for the characters in the shower. My husband jokes that you can chart my discovery process according to our water bill. You might see this big spike, May, 2021. She was writing, um, finding her way back, which will come out next February or way back last, uh, October, 2020, she was writing a chance for a newcomer. And I mean, the water, I mean, you can see the fluctuation in the water bill. It's a real thing. And the third thing I would say, as far as, um, uh, Honing this power of discovery in your pre-writing process is to create a visual montage of your characters and places. And this is where, you know, again, the research um, that you've already done comes into play because it's going to aid you in deepening your characterization and even sometimes generating plot lines and and story outcome. Um, I also, when I'm creating this, visual montage of the characters or, or setting. Um, I can use it again when it comes to post-writing marketing of the novel. I create Pinterest boards for each of my novels, and I first, I audition photos of the characters or the models that I cast into my starring roles. And I look for photos and some of those photo sharing sites that I mentioned in part one. I look for photos of these people that I've created in my mind that I need a visual representation Of, um, I look for happy pictures of them, same character, sad pictures, angry pictures, love interest pictures. And so that's why oftentimes I will select an actor because it's easier to find pictures of them even versus models. But my characters have to live and move and have their being in my imagination before I can visualize them living and moving in my novel. Um, I use Scrivener is the software that I use for all of my writing and I use Mm -hmm. Scrivener organize this materials and so I find these photos to capture the moods of my characters because then it helps me to picture them if I'm getting ready to write a scene where the the hero and the heroine there's an angry kind of moment or some tension going there and it also when I collect these photos helps me to explore the the livelihoods the activities of a region. And this search will pay off with plot and scene development. So that's the third thing I do. The fourth thing I do in my power of discovery process, and this is going to sound funny, but I watch a lot of TV and movies. Wait, did I really just say that? Yes, I did, Linda. This is fun, but it's also essential in the pre-writing process because I think it fuels story development. The Mm. setting or the core theme provides a visual framework for my characters to exist. And so therefore... When I'm watching some some TV show that relates in some way to a topic or a character that I'm doing in my novel, it helps me to identify with that character and to bring it to life in my own story. So when I was writing Aloha Rose, you don't even want to know how many episodes of Hawaii 5 I watched um, <laughs> while I was writing that. Or... When I was writing Under a Turquoise Sky, which is basically about the WITSEC program and a witness on the run, I watched a very old series called In Plain Sight. And Mm. it just helped me to feel the flavor of the atmosphere and capture that. Um, Even like with Aloha Rose, the Hawaiian setting, you know, there is a certain cadence that Native Hawaiians speak. And it helped me to put that into the dialogue. I mean, there's so many intangible things that I get from following this little thing. And of course, it's also fun because who doesn't want to watch BritBox or, you know, Netflix or something like that. And then the fifth thing I would recommend is to not forget to engage all five of your senses. And we've already talked about this a little bit, about peppering in the five senses that that make the characters, the setting become three-dimensional, to jump off the page. And I mentioned it before, but I I encourage you to create your own soundtrack for the novel that you're working on, or even for a particular character, like a a song that would be their theme song, whether it's a hymn or it's just some contemporary song. And I did this, uh, I mentioned with Aloha Rose, where I took Brother Iz's Over the Rainbow version, and it just became so merged into my story that when I would play that before before I began writing, I would immediately jump into the setting, to the scene, the character, the story, the novel that I was working on. Now, you know, sometimes in this, this, power of discovery, you've done your research, you've done all these things, you've been reading, you've been watching TV, all of that that we've recommended, and you feel like you're getting a little bit stuck. This always happens to me in the middle of of writing a story. Um, Even number 28, it never fails to happen. And what that means is that the story hasn't finished cooking in your imagination yet. And Mm -hmm. so I would encourage you, if you're stuck, to revisit some of these discovery techniques that work for you and access that inner child that's in you to guide you around the next bend to the next point in your story. Because sometimes we just need to give the story more time, the time it needs, not what you need. And we have to just learn to harness this playful, creative child that we all started out being and, and get ready immerse ourselves into that great adventure and enjoy this journey through the discovery phase of the pre-writing process. You know, people often ask me when I'm teaching different writing classes what my process is. And I want you to know that everybody has their own process for writing, for research, for all of these three stages that we've mentioned. And so you need to be true to what's what works for you. But as far as what works for me, I can share it with you, but you know, take it with a grain of salt. If it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. You do mm. what works for you. But for me, this is my process. I will get a story idea. I will do my initial research heavily focused on the setting, themes, characterizations. I will cast those characters, as I mentioned, with the the photos, creating my Pinterest board. I'll put together some character charts. I will gather my source material through Google, um, interlibrary loan. I'll, I'll do enough of the research, uh, the deep research. I get in the trenches, digging my way to the real story. That's really what I'm doing in this discovery process, this pre-writing process, is I'm digging my way like an archaeologist to the real treasure of the story. And I'm allowing the characters and the setting and the situation and the research to percolate in my mind. I'm going to, at this point, if I need to interview any um, local experts, I will do that. And at some point, Uh, The question is always asked, well, when do you know when it's time to stop researching and write? Well, you know... You could probably write a book just on that, and and millions of people would buy it, especially those of us who are authors. Because if you're like me, I could spend my entire life researching just for fun. I mean, just for things that interest me. And I would never, ever stop researching and get around to writing the story. But a good motivator is when you've got a contract and there's a deadline and you've already been paid part of it. And you know that, you know, it's going to get ugly if you don't turn it in. That's always a real big motivator for me. But otherwise, at some point, I just have to think to myself, okay, I can I can get going on the first few chapters. I know my characters well enough. And I just write until I can't write anymore. I've got to get my butt in the chair, glue it in there if you need to, and I've got to write. And I will write until I get stuck like I mentioned before, but don't panic. That's key. Trust yourself. Trust the whole process that if you're stuck, that means that you need to percolate the creativity a little bit longer. Do some more research because research questions do crop up in the middle of writing. You'll be writing along and you suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute. I need to know the answer to this question before I can finish the scenes. And you just stop and you you try to do your online stuff first if you can find the answer. Remember, rule of three must agree. Fact check by making sure you can find that fact in at least three separate sources of information to make sure it's going to be true. And then have it answered your question. Get back into the discipline of writing and get back into the next scene as quickly as you can. And I encourage people, writers, write the story as fast as you can. Just kind of vomit it out on the screen as fast as you can, and don't edit yourself at this at this point. It's best just to get it on on the screen in your manuscript. File format as quickly as possible. Don't second guess yourself. Just get it out there, bare bones, even because that that reworking, that bringing it the magic to life. Remember, is part three of the process where you're doing your rewriting, and that is my 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 process. It's messy, but then isn't writing messy and agonizing and glorious and exhilarating and wonderful and all of those things at the same time. And this is why that writers, you know who you are. Um, we're we're a tribe and that's why we love to get to conference together because we found our tribe. The normal ship sailed without us a long time ago, people. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it, it's not it's not an easy life, but it's the kind of thing that if you're a writer, if God has hardwired you to be a writer, then you know that you've got to keep writing for his glory because this is the, the mission that he's called you to do.
0: It is. And you have so equipped us. Thank you so very, very much. Lisa, this has brought us to the end of part two. We'll certainly have you back on. I do have a question I'd like to ask you, not necessarily writing related. Lisa Carter, what brings you joy?
1: I love my garden. It's not a vegetable garden. There's boxwoods, there's a fountain, there's wind chimes, there's perennials, there's roses, hydrangeas. And so I I love being out there, um, feeling all of those senses, experiencing that, feeling God very close there. I also love to travel. That, oh, you don't even want to get me started on the places I've been, the places I want to see. Travel is such a passion in my life. I joke, I tell people that I write books to fund my travel addiction. And and there is a lot of truth in that. And then also, I think my passion, my joy is to get together with family. I love those times when I can be together with my family and just experience life with them. There is no greater joy. Um, I'm also a, a, a worshiper. I love coming at conference, which we've not really been able to do too much over the last couple of years, but I love that sensation of being with people of like mind and really worshiping our King and that, that kind of, um, large group atmosphere. So I would say those are my joys. And, um, those are the things that, that I think enhance the writing and go into filling that tank of creativity, filling it so that it overflows in creativity, in the words, in the stories that God has given us.
0: So nice. Well, folks, as you can see, we do have amazing experts that we bring to feed into you, to give you what you need to take that next best step. Lisa has 28 books out. I think she knows her business. And for her to be able to say, Yes, I'm more than willing to share with the listeners here at Your Best Writing Life, we are truly, truly blessed. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here with us again twice. This has been great. It is such an honor to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Linda, for inviting me to be on the program.
0: Well, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. And thank you, my friends, for joining us. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. And yes, 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 we have all of Lisa's information in the show notes. You're going to be able to find find where she's at, how you can connect with her, because we do want you to do that as well. And we have a download, I think, that was with episode, the first part of this episode. So we'll probably have a copy of that in this one as well. I think it should be in the show notes. Oh, we want to give you and inform you and equip you for your best riding life. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, If you'd like to review it, we'd like to hear from you because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you next time on your best writing life.